0: Who would have thought it? Who would have thought that the most important thing in all the world... Who would have thought that the most important message in all the world would go to a place of execution outside a city... In the Middle East, the most important message in all the world is found at a place of execution outside the city of Jerusalem in the Middle East. Who'd have thought it? Man wouldn't, God did. When the fullness of time was come, God sent His Son. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 tells us that. There's something really humbling about proclaiming the message of the gospel. There's something very humbling about embracing the message of Jesus in the gospel. It's been said that it takes a crucified man to preach a crucified Lord. I think it's a great statement and I know what it means. And constantly am I personally challenged by it because you see, a person can't be full of himself and Jesus at the same time. But maybe it needs to be suggested... It takes a crucified church to reflect a crucified Savior. People in our churches cannot be full of themselves and of Jesus at the same time. It sends a mixed message that really doesn't reflect Jesus appropriately at all. You know, the cross is the cost for our forgiveness. I've heard people say that if we really love Jesus, we'll love the church. I believe that, and I suspect you do too. Acts 20 and verse 28 says that Jesus purchased the church with His blood. That being true, y'all, we ought to love the church because the church was purchased by the blood of Jesus. Jesus. He built his church Matthew 16:16 16, 16 through 19 But mass suggests this Just as you really cannot love the church without loving the uh, love the Lord without loving his church rather excuse me You can't love Jesus without loving his cross Look at 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18. It says, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We just finished singing, tell me the story of Jesus right on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. We cannot love Jesus without loving His cross and His church. The cross is about salvation. The cross is about revelation And the cross is about victory. The cross is about salvation. No one can be saved without coming to Jesus and His cross. The cross is about revelation. And let me show you what I mean. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. And let me mention three passages from John in particular. The cross is a revelation of the glory of God. In John chapter 12, verses 20 through 28, some Greeks come and they say, we would see Jesus. And as Jesus speaks with these individuals, he mentions the fact that the hour has come to glorify God. And he specifically says in John 12, verses 20 through 28, that this time, this hour that has come when he would glorify God, would involve dying. Mark that. The cross is a revelation of the glory of God. Go over just another chapter. Look at John 13. Look at verses 31 and 32. Here's what Jesus says. (coughs) Judas has just left to go and betray him. And Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. He is living his entire life in view of this very moment of time. The time in which he's about to go to the cross for you and for me. Turn to John 17 and look at verse 1. The cross reveals the glory of God. His hour has fully come. Glorify me, he says, that I might glorify you. The cross is a revelation of God's glory. How much God hates sin and how much God loves humanity. That's a glorious discussion. The cross is a revelation, it is a revelation of God's righteousness and justice. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 3. Cross is a revelation. No wonder why we should glory in Jesus and His cross, boast only in Jesus and His cross, not of anything about ourselves. We can't be full of ourselves and full of Jesus at the same time. In Romans 3, 21 through 26, it is through the death of Jesus that God is just and how He justifies sinners. It is through the cross of Jesus, His death on the cross, that God shows Himself to be just and righteous and yet also to be the one who justifies sinners. That's fascinating. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verses 18 through 31, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31, listen to what Paul is saying to these Christians. He is saying that if a person is fascinated by slick communication, by worldly wisdom and power... they will never appreciate the cross and the gospel enough. If you are just drawn to slick speaking, to talent, if you are drawn to self-sufficiency and self applause. The wisdom and the power of men, the wisdom and power of the cross won't make sense. One last passage. As we think about the cross as a revelation... It reveals the glory of God. It reveals the righteousness of God. It reveals the power and wisdom of God. That through an execution outside of a town in the Middle East long ago, you and I can still find our forgiveness, our salvation, our relationship with God. Turn to Romans 5 and look at verses 1 through 11. In Romans 5, 1 through 11, the cross reveals the love of God for sinners. Romans 5 and verse 8. For those who were His enemies, Romans 5 verses 10 and 11. For those who were ungodly and without strength... Romans 5 and verse 6. Man, what the cross has got to say about God and the relationship He wants to have with humanity. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 2 and let's look at verses 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. And here's something I want you to get, and I hope you'll jot it down, maybe by your Bible here in 1 Corinthians 2 1 through 5. Individual Christians and entire congregations must stress the cross of Jesus and the gospel. Individual Christians and entire congregations must stress the cross of Christ and the gospel. To the degree we do not, we do not honor God. To the degree we don't, we do not honor God. Now look at what Paul's doing. He says in 1 Corinthians one seventeen, God sent me to preach the gospel. Do you see that in 1 Corinthians one You ought to. To preach the gospel is the same thing as what's found in verse 1. To preach the testimony of God. Chapter 2, verse 1. To preach the gospel is to preach the testimony or the mystery of God. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Two different ways of speaking of the same thing, y'all. Look at verse 2. To preach the gospel... It's not just to preach the testimony of God, chapter 2 and verse 1. It's to preach Christ and Him crucified. Again, to preach, to teach the gospel is to. Proclaim and demonstrate the Spirit and His power. First Corinthians, two, verse four, verse five, to preach the gospel is to rest one's faith on the power of God. That's what the passage says. Now I'd like to bring this out, just kind of one of those things I do every now and then. The testimony of God, Christ in Him crucified, the Spirit's words proclaimed within the Spirit's power. Father, Son, and Spirit. All right there for us in this section. Now let's look a little more up close and personal at 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. And what it means to emphasize Christ and Him crucified. What it means to emphasize Christ and Him crucified. If you're following along, look at your verse 1. And this ought to be easy to remember. It's all in A's. And I know that my daughter is going to call my son and say, Dad used alliteration in a sermon because it happens very seldom. But it fits pretty well. And I'll do it to help. Approach. Chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 2 is about Approach. When I came to you. Put that in your notes because twice in the verse it's found. To you. The approach. And then notice verse 2. A second A word. Attention. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus and Him crucified. I want to give great emphasis and attention, Paul's saying, to Christ and Him crucified. So approach, attention, third A, verses 3 and 4. Attitude. His attitude is humble. His attitude is one of magnifying Jesus. His attitude is one of emphasizing the words of the Spirit and power. His attitude. Paul's talking about these things. Verse 1, I came to you. Verse 2, I was among you. You really want to know how to do evangelistic work. You go to people. You are among people. And then look at the next verse, verse 3. You are with people. Three and four. You go to them. You're among them. In the day-to-day aspects of life, you're with them. There's a relationship established with others. A camaraderie, a friendship. And then notice verse 5. There is an aim... What's the first word that you have in verse 5 in your translation? That or so, right? So here's the goal, here's the purpose. So that your faith might rest in the power of God and not in the power and wisdom of men. See it? Now let's look at these verses a little more closely. Look at verse 1 with me. When I came to you, I did not come to you with lofty speech or with worldly wisdom. Christians aren't salesmen. And the Bible is not a sales pitch. We're not salesmen. And the Bible, the word of God and the plan of salvation, it's not a sales pitch. And we need to be careful that we do not act that way. Because Paul says, I didn't come to you with smooth words. I didn't come to you as a slick talker. I didn't come to you as an orator. I did not come to you as someone who would use rhetoric and and verbal manipulation and worldly wisdom to twist your arm. I didn't come to you that way. I have no doubt that Paul's training meant that he was a good speaker. I don't have any question in my mind that Paul had a lot of ability. Do you? But it wasn't his ability, it wasn't his speaking that he was distressed. He was distressed. God! For many years I've told people here, if you think that you've heard a good sermon, say my compliments to the chef. God, it's about him and his message. It's not, oh what a great preacher... It's, oh, what a great Savior. By the way, it's not, oh, what a great elder. It's, oh, what a great shepherd, chief shepherd. And with all of us, they may see what we say or hear what we say or what we do, but they are to glorify who? God. Matthew 5 13 through 16. My approach was not that of smooth speech and worldly wisdom. And Alan, the world is just as fascinated by smooth speech and worldly wisdom now as it was when the book of 1 Corinthians was written. And people that are fascinated by that want to be self-sufficient and want to be people who applaud themselves. We can do that even in the church. And it dishonors Jesus. Now here's the main point I want you to remember. Here's the takeaway. May our approach to others ever honor Jesus, the cross, and the gospel. Amen to that. May our approach to others ever honor Jesus, the cross, and the gospel. It's right there in the passage. I just conjure that up? No. Right in the passage. Look at verse 2. And I determined to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ... ...and Him crucified. Paul was a man of one subject. Of one thing. That doesn't mean he didn't preach on other matters... ...because 1 Corinthians itself shows... ...that he is going to deal with a number of problems in the church but he is a master of one theme, of one subject, Christ and him crucified. I suggest that preachers and churches need to be masters of one subject in particular. Christ and him crucified. Notice how the verse breaks down, I... It's personal. Scott, whether anybody else in all the world does this, you still have to make a personal decision. I, if what you're going to stress, what you're going to emphasize in your life and ministry, your service to the Lord. I do. We all do. I determined the idea is that of judgment and forethought. I've made up my mind. You know, some of us, when we have our mind made up, there's no changing it. This is a subject where our mind should be made up and there will not be any change. Look at the passage as it unfolds. I determined to know nothing among you except the priority of this type of emphasis. Everything else is secondary to keep the main thing the main thing. I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. In some pulpits, there's a great emphasis on politics. I determined to know nothing among you except political issues. Doesn't really fit too well with 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, does it? Social issues. I determined to know nothing among you except social issues. While I have little question that the Bible will address politics and social issues... ...we should speak much more of Christ and His cross than about politics and social issues. And by the way, a preacher is to do that... ...because he is to stand with the authority of Scripture. A preacher may be wrong about what he says politically... And socially, if it's not solidly based on Christ and His cross in the book. Some preachers I determined to know nothing about, except Christ and psychology. Christ and entertainment. Y'all, there is a place for Christians to laugh and have fun. And the Bible's psychology, it's the most amazing psychology book that's ever been written, but the Bible is more than merely a psychology book. It is a revelation from God. Christ and Him crucified. That's the emphasis. That's the priority. Christ and Him crucified. His person, Jesus Christ... He is Jesus, the Savior. Matthew 1, 21 through 25. He is Christ, the anointed one, the promised one, the King, the Savior and King. To know about the person of Jesus, to preach, to proclaim the person of Jesus and Him crucified, the work of Jesus. I believe that if we all in the church made that our theme, this is my story, this is my song, to tell the story of Jesus, more lives would be blessed and more souls would be added to the kingdom. Christ and Him crucified. That in a phrase is mighty comprehensive. His person and his work. Who Jesus is and what Jesus did matters for everybody, whether one realizes it or not. Would Jesus and his work make a difference in the lives of the lost? You better believe it. Jesus and his work make a difference in the lives of the church... Brother Lynn, it is the lifeblood of the church. Christ and Him crucified. Remember, he used his blood to purchase the church. The lifeblood of the church is Christ and Him crucified. One of the things that greatly concerns me about preaching is I hear a lot of emphasis on politics and social issues and isms in the church. But it seems to me that we're hearing less of Christ and Him crucified. And if that's true, God forgive us. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus and Him crucified. Yes, the Bible will address these matters, but we dare not make the other matters that are secondary Our emphasis, the primary matter. When we live in a time when the secondary becomes primary and the primary gets lost, that's a problem. For verse 2, remember this statement. Paul gave attention... To honoring Jesus the cross and the gospel so must we real attention focus so must we look if you will at verses 3 and 4 these verses if you recall correctly deal with Paul's attitude verses 3 and 4 I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Well, if you studied the life of Paul, I don't know that I would call him that in one way, and yet I have to appreciate and respect what he's saying by the Holy Spirit. Weakness, fear, and much trembling. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Look at verse 15. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 15. Fear and trembling is a distinctly uh, Pauline expression. It's something that Paul only uses. His affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all. Titus, he's talking about how you received him with fear and trembling... You received a preacher with fear and trembling. You know why? Because you know that you're going to be somewhere eternally. You're paying attention to the message. Is that how you're responding to me today? Turn, if you will, to the book of Ephesians. Fear and trembling... Bond servants, you might use this for employees today. obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with as sincere a heart as you would Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Philippians 2:12. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not so, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul was very humbled at the prospect of preaching at Corinth, and here's why. There's a fascination with speech... There's a fascination there with worldly wisdom and slick talking. And Paul was not going to utilize it either because he wanted the power to be of God. Look at Acts 18. and You'll see how God addresses this matter. Acts 18. Crispus and others, verse 8, become Christians at Corinth. 1 Corinthians. Look at verse 9. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent. I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. I came to you. I was among you. I was with you. In weakness, fear, and much trembling. You know what Paul had discovered? By his weakness, the power of God would be seen by his lack of smooth speech, the word of God would be heard for what it is. Much fear and trembling. Notice what he says, and I love verse 4 here. My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Maybe you've heard me say that good communication, really effectively communicating the word of God, involves three musketeers. The three musketeers. Logos, ethos, pathos. What in the world do these terms mean? Logos means the message or the word. And notice that Paul's message was in demonstration of the spirit and power of God. Pathos. How did he come to them? Weakness, fear, trembling. Isn't that how he came? It's a daunting thing to proclaim the word of God. It's a necessary and blessed thing too. And then notice ethos. My speech and my message, it's a matter of character, integrity, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's about attitude. A lot of churches are too strong. A lot of preachers are too strong. Full of themselves and full of their abilities and talents. As a congregation, we need to attempt things at West Side that the only way we could explain it is that God must have been behind it. Not just something that we could congratulate ourselves over. The only way we can, under, we can really bring it out is God must have been behind it. Preachers need to think that way with weakness and fear and trembling and yet to proclaim the message in the very best way we can. Verse 5, before I get off of that, verses 3 and 4 deal with attitude, point to Remember. Our attitude must reflect genuine humility personally, but great confidence in Jesus and the cross and the gospel. Our attitude must ever reflect great humility personally, but great confidence in Jesus and the gospel and the cross. Lastly, look at 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 5. Here's what he's aiming for. Here's what his goal is. Here's what the purpose is. Your faith. Your faith. I came to you. I was among you. I've been with you this length of time so that your faith would rest in the power of God and not the power of men. Faith comes by what? And hearing by what? Smooth words, fair speech? By the gospel, the word of God. And so we come right back to where we really began with Paul preaching the gospel well, that's the same thing as preaching the testimony of God. Well, that's the same thing as preaching Christ and Him crucified. Well, that's the same thing as, as, as speaking the Spirit's words and power. That's the same thing as the power of God. Yep. And here is the point to remember about verse 5. The purpose of in all that we do must be that people will rest their faith on the power of Jesus, the cross, and the gospel. And this this a great passage to think about? And in this day and time, it seems to me that Much of the religious world is emphasizing big buildings, big budgets, big plans. But maybe we're not emphasizing a big God. Yes, we should plan. And I hope we do and are. And we ought to have big plans. Plans that God needs to be in or they could never be successful but no congregation and no individual christian can be full of themselves and full of god at the same time how many of y'all remember this song all of self and none of thee you remember that if you do raise your hand i think a good number do not everybody it's not a song we sing very much anymore but there's it's not a song we sing very much anymore but It begins with all of self, none of thee, and it goes to some of self and some of thee. And finally it ends with none of self and all of you. I hope Westside will be that kind of church. I want to be that kind of preacher and I want to encourage you to be that kind of Christian. If you're not in Christ, through faith, repentance, and baptism, you respond to the grace of Jesus and God seen at the cross. You turn from your sins in repentance. And at the point of baptism, your sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus at the cross. And you have new life. New life. Because there's been a death and a burial and a resurrection. If you've not come to Christ in faith, repentance, and baptism, don't leave this building without doing that. Please don't. And for those of us who are Christians, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus and Him crucified i leave you with this thought. One will never have to apologize for emphasizing Jesus and Him crucified. But I bet there's going to be an awful lot of sorry people at the judgment who did not properly emphasize Jesus and Him crucified. Let us stand and sing.